0: Psalm 46, if you have your Bible or your device ready at home, you can turn there. This is where I'm going to be preaching from this morning psalm 46 hey if you're on a device we do the esv version so you can you'll be able to follow along with us there on that and before we dive in man i just you know i want to acknowledge how strange this is for us um man we're all friends on this stage but we don't typically sit on couches and do a church service together in our free time So that's not something that you would normally find us doing. So it's strange to speak and sing into a camera, not knowing who's watching on the other side, while knowing that however long this goes on, you're going to be watching our hair grow uh, and our hair grow gray for some of us. Right. Some of us don't have to struggle with that. It's already there. Um, But one of the interesting things that the coronavirus has shown us is how much we take our gathering times for granted, how much as even a church we connect, um, we're relationally driven, it says it in our values behind me, um, but how much we take that for granted. And we're in a moment right now when we desire to be near to others, But what's so strange about that is the most loving thing we can do is to keep our distance as a way to be better neighbors and to love one another in this particular moment. I mean, even introverts, right? You guys are all like, hug me. This has gone too far, you know, at this point, right? But the question I want to ask and hopefully answer as we dive into Psalm 46 is where do we find God in situations like the coronavirus? Is he social distancing from us. Or maybe you're just somebody that has grown up thinking that that is the posture that God takes. He just keeps a cool distance from us. And what we're going to see here is that Psalm 46, um, it gives us a picture, and not just a picture, but a a really vivid picture of God's presence, which is going to help us prepare spiritually, emotionally, and even practically in all of this local and global anxiety and unsettledness that we're all experiencing right now in fact martin luther he was actually inspired to write his hymn the old famous hymn a mighty fortress is our god from psalm 46 and it said that whenever luther heard any discouraging news he would just pop right up and say let's let's sing psalm 46 right on the spot let's not even hesitate And so what we know about the psalm is that this was something that was likely written by King David. if you look at your Bible, it says, to the choir master of the sons of Korah, which were these dudes who were singers and songwriters from that time. So as we get ready to dive in, what we want to ask is, is, how is Psalm 46 going to help us today, right now, in this particular cultural defining moment that we find ourselves in? And we actually get an answer, so I'm going to give you the end at the beginning here. Uh, An old uh, theologian named Matthew Henry, this is what he tells us about Psalm 46. He says, this psalm encourages us to hope and trust in God, in his power, in his providence, and in his gracious presence with his church in the worst of times, and directs us to give him the glory for what he has done and what he will do. So we want God's word to direct us and we want God's word to give us clarity. And I think what this Psalm does for us is it gives us clarity of God's presence and his purpose for us so that we are prepared for the spiritual, emotional and physical upheaval and challenges that are set before us. And that's a reality. So let's dive in. Let's read Psalm 46 and you can follow along with me. And it says this. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So what we get here at the beginning of this psalm is some clarity. And if you're like me right now, what you really would like is some clarity with what's going on with this virus. And yet we're getting a different kind and maybe a more helpful clarity for us right now and what we see here is a clarity of God's presence for our souls notice that David the psalmist his first two words begins with the person of God right and he doesn't say not God was or God will be although those are important things too to know that God what he did in the past will how he will continue in the present and into the future but he says God is and so before we go any further this helps us to think and to pray and to process rightly instead of just falling off the rails, right? Because we tend to get really pragmatic in times of crisis. I think we do. I know I do. And it would have been no different for David here either. What happens is is we tend to focus on what is instead of God is when we're in the middle of what is. And brothers and sisters, we are in the middle of just a colossal, what is and then our anxiety and our worry it feeds off of that right it's like seeing a grocery store aisle full of toilet paper we're just drawn to it we want to pull from it we want to feed off it we want to gather it all together we want to take it home we want to stockpile it and that's what happens to our anxiety and our worry that was a horrible illustration it's all i got it's all i got but david gets personal before the lord before he gets to what we say might be more practical. Right? And the reason he gets personal before he gets practical is because he knows that God is Lord over practicalities. He knows like many of us are going to experience that to begin with practicalities, to start there is a sure way to end in insecurities. And we gotta guard against that. Because before we think what is the church, us, as the revolutionary movement that it is, needs to remember who God is. And the church needs to think about God the way that Psalm 46 and the rest of scripture tells us about him, right? A.W. Tozer, a theologian, a pastor, said what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So if that's true, then how we're thinking about God and how we're thinking about God's position and posture with everything that's going on right now is actually incredibly important for how we're processing spiritually, emotionally, and the kind of clarity that we need right now in our hearts. Now, obviously, man, we need to be educated, right? We need to know everything that's going on about this pandemic. We need to stay informed. We need to stay educated. But I think more importantly, God's people need to be reminded anew of who God is. Because every time another, listen, every time another news report breaks, God is. Every time we hear of another person that's contracted the coronavirus, God is. Every time we hear about more loss of life, God is. So what is God then? What we learn from Psalm 46 is that God is near to us and David doesn't just say he is near but he actually describes the depths of his nearness to us look what he says in verse 1 he says he is our refuge and our strength that's the depths of God's nearness to us this morning and again you want to think of this word refuge think of it like a, a cliff or like a lofty place, like something that can't be reached or accessed. And it's encouraging for us to read about God being described like this, isn't it? He is our impenetrable fortress. He is the strength that we don't possess against forces that are way beyond our ability to control. I mean, everything else in our lives is like a Mission Impossible movie, right? Somehow that Tom Cruise guy He always manages to break into the most heavily guarded and secure places in the world, which proves that the mission wasn't impossible at all, (laughs) right? Why do we keep watching these movies, right? The dude's going to break in. He's going to make it. He's going to get the stuff, right? You just ruined all these movies for us, Ronnie. Um, But what God provides us for is something that can't be broken into. He himself being an impenetrable security for our souls, So when God is your refuge and your strength, it means that because he is with us, we're safe with him. And the strength we don't have, but desperately need, that comes from him too. That's what we have given who God is. And then it also says, not only a refuge and a strength, but a very present help in trouble. Now, for those of you who have kids, you literally, have those kids right now, right? And one of the phrases that will likely be coming out of your mouth if it already hasn't every 17 seconds is this is not helping me right now, right? So coronavirus or not, there are always a lot of things we could say are not helping us right now because we live in a world where things are constantly coming undone and going wrong. And what David is pointing out is that God is always our best help in any circumstance in a world that is not helping us right now. In fact, in another Psalm, Psalm forty seventeen, David said this. He said, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. And then he says, you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. We kind of just sang that when we sang, "O oh God, You never leave my side. What we're doing is we're pleading with him. We're acknowledging that he's our help and our deliverer. And we're saying, we need that help now. You're the best help that we have in the present moment. So being a very present help in trouble, man, that doesn't mean he always makes the trouble vanish either. But it does mean that he won't vanish in our trouble. And so what we're presented with in Psalm 46, before we even get to the end of verse one, is this startling truth. God is nearer to you than your trouble. He is nearer to us than everything that is surrounding us right now. And that's a hope. And that's a hope for us. And then David says, therefore in verse two and what he means by that is in other words because this is true for us because this is what gives us clarity because these words and what I'm speaking to you and singing to you and writing to you about who God is because it's true he says here in verse two we will not fear in other words because God is we will not fear whatever else is Even when that whatever else is not exactly something we can just say whatevs to, right? And so what's encouraging to note here is how resolute David is, right? I mean, do you you catch how he says that? Therefore, we will not fear. He doesn't give us any wiggle room. He doesn't say, look, man, if it gets real bad, fear is always an option if it just makes you feel better. I get it. We're all a little afraid. We all need to sort of just kind of collapse in our fear sometimes. David doesn't give us that option because he doesn't want our fear to create an illusion out of God in our hearts. In the New Testament book of 2 Timothy, Paul writes this young guy that he's mentoring named Timothy and says this, he says, for God um, gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self control so I man I want to I want to chat about this um, just for a minute um, because if you if you've been on social media over the last week um, you might have heard some people just getting really uptight maybe accusing churches who canceled services um, saying that hey man these are churches that were driven by fear instead of being driven by faith now What we can say about that is that that might have been true if churches were being told uh, by our elected officials to cancel in order to silence the message of the gospel because these elected officials don't want to hear the gospel going out anymore. But that's not what happened in this particular case. Pastors and churches were led to cancel public gatherings Uh, for the health and the safety and the well-being of their communities and to help prevent the, the spread of this virus. So in other words, doing our best to love our neighbors actually means submitting ourselves to our governing authorities. And by doing that, we're denying ourselves the privilege that we enjoy of gathering as a church body. And by the way, when we talk about fearing God instead of fearing man, which always leads to the wrong kind of fear, this is how we best fear God over fearing man. It's how we're able to employ godly self-control and neighborly love which is exactly how scripture would define the power of God over a spirit of fear. So Proverbs 1 verse 7 tells us this it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what this tells us about fear is that we need to practice the right kind of of fear, which is the one that leads to knowledge and wisdom, which by the way, always leads us back to compassion and to love and to denial of self. You want to know what's motivated by a spirit of fear? What's motivated by a spirit of fear would be shaking our fists in the air and declaring that we're going to do what we're going to do despite the instruction that we've been given. And by the way, Self-denial never means a denial of reality. It means never letting any desire that we have motivated by fear of man win out over wisdom. So this clarity we get about who God is being a refuge and a strength and a very present help in trouble, therefore we will not fear, this is a spirit of wisdom that we all need to have trusting that God is who he says he is. Because here's what happens here with David, who is never in denial of reality. We get to this crazy important word in verse 2, which says, though, therefore we will not fear, though, it says. Now again, David is not in denial of reality here. Look how he describes the situation he's saying we still shouldn't have any fear in if we find ourselves in. Look what it says. It says, we will not. therefore we will not fear, though what? The earth gives way, the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. I mean, on one hand, you're thinking like, David, are you being a little dramatic here with all of this language? I mean, all of nature and the elements coming unraveled against us. David is saying, is nothing we should fear if God is your refuge and your strength because he will be your help presently within something even as cataclysmic as that. And that's why the word though is so important, right? I mean, do we get that? That the entire life of a Christian is predicated almost by the word though. I'm sorry, I'm getting ready to hit you here, Ashley. It's crazy. Um, It says, we will not fear though. How does that apply to us today? Well, we will not fear though COVID-19 continues to spread. We will not fear though the stock market continues to wobble. We will not fear though jobs are in flux and income is a significant concern. David's not in denial. We shouldn't be either. We will not fear though there is a loss of life being experienced throughout the world. David doesn't deny reality. Scripture never denies reality when it gives us clarity of who God is. What David is saying is there's an even greater, deeper and truer reality. Remember who God is. Don't collapse into a spirit of fear. Hold fast to the character of God who is in control and infinitely compassionate for us. Martin Luther made this comment. He said, if we perish, Christ must fall too. So we remember who God is so that we remember who we're not and so we don't keep falling back then ultimately collapsing in our own self-perseverance and strength. And then what happens is David gives us this beautiful, hopeful and peaceful glimpse into what is the future for those who God is near. This is what he says in verse four and five, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. He says, God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. God will help her when morning dawns, which means there's a night to get through that God is purposing us to get through, but we can expect that his help is always forthcoming. So one of the great fears in ancient cities, as we look in verse four and five here, was that the water supply would be cut off because water was really their, their source of life in a lot of ways. But it says here in the city of God, we find unending streams of living water to refresh and to replenish, replenish us. We find a place where God in his holiness dwells. We find a future country where God leads us at first light when morning dawns. So However things look on the outside, it's God's presence on the inside that will bring us the peace we desire but have a deficit of. Wherever God is, peace is ever there. And so David is illustrating to us in this, really this poetic language of this song that if God is for us, like what Paul tells us in Romans, who can be against us? Like, what the heck? Who can be against us? And it's this reality, by the way, that is supposed to change how our insides respond to those outside realities, whatever they are, right? And by the way, sometimes we don't know we need peace until our peace is threatened, right? Because it's not a thing. It's never a thing for God to assure us of what is sure about him, right? I remember, I always have this memory and I don't know why this always pops up in my head, but I remember this one night, I was in fourth grade and for some reason, I I wasn't able to finish my homework one night and I was one of those kids that um, at least at that stage in my academic career, I got good grades. Um, This is way before junior high and high school and I was working on some fourth grade homework and I just didn't finish it in time and I went to bed and I was just a wreck and I was afraid because I wasn't going to have my finished homework in the morning and I'm crying and my dad hears me cry and he comes into my room and he says, what's wrong? Why are you crying? And I said, well, I'm just so scared because I didn't finish my homework and I'm afraid you're going to be mad at me and I'm afraid my teacher's going to be mad at me and I'm afraid. So now you're getting some insight into my insides about everybody, you know, being afraid of being mad at big R here. But I remember he said, hey, come on. He grabbed me. He picked me up. He brought me into the living room. Um, I sat next to him on the couch. He pulled me in. He tucked me in and he said, dude, it's going to be okay. I'm not going to be mad at you. You did your best. Here's my point with that story is that it was nothing for my dad to reassure me that everything was going to be okay. Why? Well, because a fourth grader not finishing their homework, I mean, that dude had bigger things going on in his life. And he knew that like, the whole state of the nation wasn't gonna crumble if I didn't turn that into Mrs. Sheffield. If you're out there, what's going on? It's been a while. But like, it's helpful to see the ridiculousness of some of these ways that we posture ourselves before the Lord when in fact, he is for us, he's not against us, and it's nothing for him to assure us and remind us of who he is. Psalm 121, our help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. You're sweating it out, but you got a guy who created the heavens and the earth who is walking with you. Augustine, the old theologian from like a million years ago, that's how up on church history I am, said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. And so Psalm 46, it provides us with with a spiritual and emotional rest. It provides us with the clarity of God's presence to bring our hearts to a place of rest before the Lord by reminding us that he is Lord, by he is Lord. It also gives us a clarity of purpose when we look at verses six through 11. Now, it doesn't seem like it at first, right? We read about all these kingdoms just toppling. All the kingdoms of the world who seek after power in real estate, they melt under the voice of the Lord. This reminds us of who it is that we're dealing with and who it is that the world is dealing with. It says they fall under the greatness and power of God. The world is not a fortress. God is a fortress for those in the world that are with him. And as he spoke the world into existence, he could just as easily speak it into oblivion. So what do we do with that? Well, look what the psalmist says. He says, behold. He says, step back and be in awe and be in reverence over the works of the Lord. See how he works, it says in verse eight. Sometimes we don't know what to do when there's all of this unrest and unsettledness, especially now that we're told we just need to step back and we need to stop doing stuff. Like when the most helpful thing is to not help anybody, physically, it's really hard for us, Right? And so it's interesting that the psalmist gives us something practical when he says, behold the works of the Lord. See how he works. He has brought to desolation those things that were thought as being powerful, but really, in reality, as compared to the power of the Lord, they're not. Wars end because he's in control of the means in which they're fought. The world is like a chessboard in the hands of God. He moves and he controls all the pieces. And by the way, he's never arbitrary with the decisions he makes. He never like makes a move and says, oh shoot, I wish I would have gone that way. It's never arbitrary. Even when from our vantage point, man, it just looks like chaos. And from our vantage point right now, the world looks like a whole lot of chaos. What we learn here in Psalm 46 is that God always has a clarity of purpose with how he operates, with how he moves. And it doesn't matter if we can see it in the present. We trust in his character in the present. So beholding God, what David is laying out here for us, is what leads us to worshiping God. And worshiping God is what leads us to getting over our worry about the things that he is already in control of. So we can see a a physical and even a practical nature in this. What David is showing us is that God is not idle and he's not sleeping. He's not distracted. He's not on vacation. God is not social distancing from us right now. He's near. We're virtual, but God is never virtual. We're live streaming, but God doesn't live stream his way into our lives. In fact, it's through his son, it's through Christ that he has made his home with us and he lives in our hearts. So God leads us to worship him, it says, so that we might have unstirred souls. It says, be stilled. And by the way, we want to understand this correctly. It's not just saying just sit there and close your eyes and just do your best and grit your teeth and try to still yourself. No, no, this is the Lord talking. This is the Lord saying, I'm stilling you. In fact, a good way to kind of understand this is in Mark chapter 4, when Jesus was traveling with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee and a life-threatening storm broke out, um, with a very with one word, with a word, Jesus stills the storm. And he does it by saying, Peace be still. He stilled it. I mean, I can't get my cat to stop jumping up on the kitchen table, right? And with one word, Jesus stops the storm. But then he looks at his disciples and this is what he says. This was his follow-up after the stilling. He says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Like, did you just catch what I did? And then it says the the disciples were filled with fear. And this was their comment, right? They said, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this person in the boat? Who is this God that we've been hanging with all this time that we've been not believing, even though we're seeing him do these great works? Who is this person? So again, David isn't saying, calm yourself, chill out, take another hot yoga class and get acquainted with God, you know, in the relaxation, in the comfort of your own home, right? He's saying, God will still you. He's saying to us in this moment, God is stilling us. Now the disciples being saved from the storm, by the way, was secondary to them being saved from not seeing God for who he actually was. And that's us. In fact, that's always us. So the question for us then that we wanna ask is how might God be stilling us right now. I wonder what kind of clarity God might be bringing to our minds in these particular times because somehow David had clarity about who God was when his world was literally coming unraveled. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we have this kind of clarity? Do you have this kind of clarity? Or are you somebody who has maybe always thought of God as more of a a satellite, right? Kind of out there, kind of orbiting, but not super interested in you, not super involved in what's going on in the day to day of your world. Do you ever have those moments when like you think you're in shape and then someone like Tim Black does a live stream with you, you know, like what's happening right now, which is why I'm never gonna watch this. Um, because like what's going to upset me the most is that this picture doesn't lie right so as much as I want to believe it's true the camera doesn't really add 10 pounds right we just came up with that fallacy right those 10 pounds actual pounds, (laughs) right but it allows us to realize that we've exaggerated our thoughts and our opinions about ourselves, and we do the same thing with God because we find ourselves now in a moment when our confidence is being shaken, our routines are being disrupted, and our faith even is being questioned, right? Man, our confidence is being shaken. And here's what's interesting about that is that we think the worst thing that can happen is to have our confidence shaken. But God likes to shake it, right? He likes to shake our confidence. He wants to disrupt. He wants to reorder those loves in our life that gives us a confidence that's actually worth losing. And he uses moments like this to do that. To shake us out of the confidence that's false in our lives. He also disrupts our routines, right? I know that sometimes I don't realize I'm thirsty until I get a sip of water. And man, I just, I just guzzle it all down. I didn't realize how dehydrated I was, right? And so I think for many of us in this particular moment, maybe it's been a long time since we've forgotten to take a drink. And now our routines have been so disrupted, we're being made aware of some of those areas in our life that are just spiritually dehydrated. But it's a good time for us to drink again from the source, from Jesus, from his word, from remembering those things that actually replenish us, those things that actually nourish our souls. And then of course, many of us are going through a time when we're questioning our faith. We've been Just collapsed into doubt and distrust. And what we know is that God doesn't shift in size according to how big we decide to make him, right? Our perspective tends to be skewed like that. But the more we see God for who he really is, the more we see ourselves for who we really are not. And so as we close this morning, I think it might be helpful for us to ask the question, if God is great, why does he need to be? Why does God need to be great? And if he really is great, how does that reality change how I live and breathe? I mean, we sing songs, right? Like how great thou art, the old hymn, But it seems like in our lives, after we sing those songs, if you take a snapshot, it seems like we try to plan and organize our lives to make sure we never have to see his greatness displayed. We do everything we can to avoid God having to show up in a particular moment to show just how great he is and to clarify his presence to us and to clarify his purpose to us like David was singing in Psalm 46. Is now we find ourselves in a moment where all of our planning and organizing oh my gosh has evaporated just evaporated I mean I think I canceled like Scott what was I canceled like 15 things off my calendar last week right some of those things I wasn't sad about I'm just going to be <laughs> honest with you right now but in an instant all of these plans I, just done I mean literally just done we've all become vulnerable We all can see now that control really is an illusion. It's an illusion. Let me just tell you about the illusion of control that I had this morning. When I came in here all dejected and angry with this crew. Because right as I clicked save this morning on my sermon, none of it saved. um, And I just kept a portion of it. After all that work, right, the thing won't even print And here I am in my own personal cultural moment, which is pretty minute and pretty small, realizing, man, even this Apple Mac, like I can't control it. I have control over nothing. Control is an illusion. And I think as we're experiencing these illusory things in our lives, and as we're experiencing that settledness, and that lack of control, what we find is the desire that surfaces in it is nearness. We want nearness. David has showed us that God is near. Not only that, not only David, but the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, he told us just how near God was going to get to us when he said, behold, the virgin shall conceive He'll bear a son, she'll bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. So I don't really want to put a bow on this sermon. I don't know who's watching, um, whether you're part of our church family or a member of substance or you're just somebody that just happened to find this link and you clicked in. Um, but like I was telling my friend uh, Altrogi here, there is a worse pandemic than coronavirus for us. There's something actually worse than the mountains moving into the heart of the sea, like what David just described. The greater pandemic than COVID-19 is a pandemic of sin that we were conceived, that we were born into. And so both the good and the bad news of that is that if you want God to be near you, it's not a pandemic that will keep you far from him. It's not an earthly pandemic. It's our sin, which has created a separation between us and God that only his son Jesus has provided a cure for by his death on a cross. So everybody here sitting on these couches and on these stools, man, we're here to tell you, man, you're looking at the chief of all sinners right here in this space. You're looking at people that have come to um, a knowledge of the depth and depravity of their own sin, which is why our message to you is that Jesus Christ is the cure for something far greater than what we're even experiencing here and to not minimize the weight and the impact. In fact, it gives it even greater weight and impact. Romans, the book of Romans tells us, Paul said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then John tells us that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. At the end of the day, like we said in the beginning, we need to fear the right thing. I'm gonna turn, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 10. This is how we're gonna wrap it. Matthew 10, 28. And this is what it says, this is Jesus's words to us. He says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. This gets us back to what David was talking about with God's presence. And then in verse 30, it says, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So the God that is nearest is the God that knows us. And then Jesus says, fear not therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So we ask the question, does God really care? Is God really present? Is he really with us in this moment? Is he somebody that is just so distant that he doesn't even know or see or is concerned? about what it is we're dealing with? Well, Jesus tells us that that couldn't be further from the truth for us here. And then he says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. So the big piece here is that for us to be near to God, that separation that we were born into via our sin has to be healed. And the only one that healed that is Jesus Christ. So we have to acknowledge our sin. We have to confess our sin. We got to understand that the only way that we can have peace with God is through trusting Jesus who sacrificed himself on the cross for our sin so that we can be righteous enough to have peace with God, the God who will then be near to us, the God who will then never forsake us, the God who will then never leave us, the God who is our very present help in times of trouble. So that's the message, that's the good news that we have for you this morning. By the way, and I would love to talk with some of you about this God who is near to us. Um, And if this pandemic has brought you to a place of illumination, if you're seeing the fragility and the frailty of your life, man, there's ways to get a hold of me, whether it's through Facebook or going on our website and getting my email. I would love for you to reach out to me. I would love to engage in a conversation uh, with you about what it means to confess our sins and find peace and forgiveness and life with the God who is near to those who humble themselves. And so that would be our hope and our prayer for you, that we would continue to be encouraged, um, that the news of the world wouldn't be what shapes our hearts, but that God through Jesus Christ would be the one who offers us the hope and the care that we have received and that we need to continue to engage with. And by the way, engage with other people with this hope, encourage other people with this hope that we've been given through the gospel. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we have hope because you're not a God that is distant, but you've made yourself near to us. You've made yourself to be with us through sending your son, Christ. And so God, for those who are listening, who have found themselves in such a place and a state of fear and anxiety Maybe it's people that have thought for years now, I get that Christian thing. I've done the church thing. Um, I'm a pretty moral person. Um, I feel like I do what's right. Um, Lord, I pray for those of us who have found ourselves languishing in just a quasi-Christian spirituality, that Lord, you would shake us out of that. You would shake our confidence in that because it's not just merely a belief in God that saves us, but it's a knowledge of our sin and a confession of that sin and a coming before you in humility, asking for forgiveness, trusting in the work of Jesus on the cross, turning from our sin. Lord, that is what you desire. And so I pray for those that feel themselves wobbling right now, that feel feel themselves on the edge of all of this uneasiness, Lord, that they would come before you, that they would submit their lives and commit their lives to you. And Lord, that the stories of salvation and hope that come from this time, Lord, would amaze us and would astound us someday. God, thank you for walking with us. Thank you for remaining near to us, even if the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. We know we have a God who is steady. We know we have a God who is a refuge and a strength in our very present help. So God, let this be our hope today. We ask these things in Christ's name. Together we all said, Amen.